Hey, out there. Welcome back to another episode of Homesteads and Homeschools. Anyway, as I said, today's episode number 52, which means you can find the show notes at homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash 052. My guest today, if you listened to my my show with Mr. James Davis back in episode number 50, you heard me mention a little bit about uh, my guest today, Mr. Roger Paxton. And we had worked on trying to trying to connect a few times and just didn't didn't happen and finally finally it it uh it hit it worked out so i was able to get roger to come on and talk a bit about homeschooling that he uh he's an unschooler he does some unschooling with his kids up there in new hampshire doing the the free state project um, if you aren't familiar with that is go check out the show notes and it will be in there um so yeah we talked about that and he just recently started uh trying to do a homestead, trying to expand a little bit. And we talked about that briefly as well. So here we go. Let's go plant those Liberty Seeds with my guest, Mr. Roger Paxton. My guest today is Mr. Roger Paxton over from uh, Pax Libertas. Uh, he has his his very own podcast called The Lava Flow, um, and he will tell you all about that later, I'm sure. Um, but it's it's a I enjoy it, um, and I think you should probably check it out if you haven't already. So, Roger, thank you for coming on today to uh, give us a little bit of your your time. Thanks for having me. Ben, I'm sorry it took so long to make this happen. <laughs> life has been crazy, but in a great way. I mean, I, I wouldn't change anything about my life. I and mean, we're crazy busy, but we love it. Yeah, I, I hear you. And it's um, it's a busy time of year down here now. You know, trying to get everything set up for the garden for next year and all that. So you went to public school. Is that correct? I did. I was a, a okay. unfortunate participant in the public school system, uh, primarily just because that's what my parents chose for me. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was, I mean, homeschooling didn't really pick up until, you know, too long there. I, I think back and there weren't a whole lot of kids doing it um, back then. So, yeah, I started school in the early eighties and, you know, especially in, in, in middle school and high school, I knew a few homeschoolers, um, but didn't know a whole lot of them. Um, matter of fact, one of them is now a really good friend of mine and he ran for the uh, Libertarian Party, Arkansas gubernatorial uh, race a couple of years ago. So uh, homeschooling does good things. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, all right. So when you when you look back at that, did you did you enjoy public school? Did you enjoy your your schooling education and stuff? Or I did not. I mean, I, it was miserable. You know, here I am being force fed information that ninety to ninety five percent of which I've never used. Um, of course, you're you're told the old adage, "Oh, you won't have a calculator on you everywhere you go." Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> guess what? I do. Or, oh, you won't be able to just look this up at a moment's notice. Well, guess what? We have the internet, and it's on all of our devices now. And 
you know, the vast majority of my schooling was was like that information I didn't need to have shoved into my brain. But not only that, you know, everybody talks about homeschooling is, well, how are your kids going to socialize? Well, they're not going to be bullied. They're not going to be joining cliques and, 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 you know, pushing people away who, who aren't in their cliques. You know, they're not going to be having this, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, this unsocial socialization. You know, that's a big part of public school, and, and I was an unfortunate uh, part of it. I, I was bullied by some, and I was, you know, later on in life, I was in groups that, that um, you know, bullied and made fun of others. So I was on both sides of that uh, in, in various, you know, times of my, my school career, and it, just disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I don't think, um, I think it's probably pretty difficult to get through the public school system unscathed by bullying. Um and I think for most of us, it ends up being on, on both sides to some degree or another, you know, um, whether you care to admit it or, or whatever, but that's you know, kind of how it, how the system is set up and structured. So it is, it, it is set up to, to separate people for sure. Yeah. Yeah. When you, um, got married and, and had kids was, was homeschooling something that you were thinking about at that point or was it, uh, you know. Homeschooling was something that I had been looking at for a long time, and primarily because shortly after high school and after I flunked out of college, um, <clears throat> I became uh, became a Christian and uh, became a minister, actually, for a while. And that really started me down the path of looking at alternative uh, school choices for my children, because I didn't want to put my children in these you know anti-Christian public schools. Um, as I became an atheist years later, um, and a libertarian, obviously there were other reasons why I didn't want to put my kids in public schools because I didn't want them, you know, force fed statism and propaganda and, and all of that. Um, that's why I call them indoctrination centers because that's exactly what they are, government indoctrination centers. Um, so I'd been on that path for a long time for various reasons. And then I met uh, my wife and her mother is a public school teacher. <laughs> so nice. you can imagine that was an interesting conversation to have. Um, thankfully, my wife uh, saw the you know, saw the the benefit to what I was talking about. And our, our children have never once stepped foot in a public school system. And I could not be more happy about it. Yeah. So you, now, you're, of course, my mother-in-law hates that. About okay. Yeah. That was, that was my next question for you. How does, how does the mother-in-law take that? Uh, well, I, you know, it's funny when we first started, she hated the idea. I mean, completely. She nuts. She thought we were crazy and that our children would end up being unsocial and stupid and, and, you know, all of these things because, you know, school makes kids smart and school makes kids social. Right. <laughs> um, but as she, you know, over the years, as she saw, you know, kind of what we were doing and what our primarily what our children were becoming, um, she has come a long way. Um, now she still thinks we're crazy, of course, but at least she doesn't think we're damaging our children, which is a big step for her. Yeah. I, I think it seems to be that like a lot of people that have um, parents or, or, you know, grandparents, whatever in the, the public school system, when you first bite onto that homeschooling thing, it, it always comes with a bunch of apprehension. And as they, as they see it unfold, as they witness it, it's kind of this eye opening. Oh, wow. Like you can do all this. Like, look at your kids. They're not these, you know, social rejects that, uh, I thought they'd be. Um, and I've seen it kind of in, in our life a little bit. And I've, I've seen it talking to, to other folks as well. And it's, uh, it's kind of interesting thing to think about. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, she she definitely has seen the uh, not so much the error of her ways. I mean, obviously, she still thinks that she's right that our kids would be even better off if they were in public school. Um, however, she does see that there is some benefit uh, to what we're doing, and you know, we are a radical departure from public school. We don't do workbooks. Right. We don't have any kind of lessons. We don't do any of that. We are radical unschoolers, 
And by radical unschoolers, I mean, we don't have lesson plans. We don't sit and do work. We don't teach our kids anything. Well, I say we don't teach our kids anything. We don't, we don't have a curriculum for teaching our kids anything. Right. Life is their curriculum. Um, if they want to learn how to make robots, that's just an example I've thrown out because a couple of years ago we were in this big robot phase. Um, you know, our kids come to us and say, hey, we want to learn how to make robots. Okay. We start watching YouTube videos. Okay. We start, you know, planning this stuff out and putting it together where you're going to have to learn math and geometry and, and all these different subjects. Um, and that's just one example of hundreds of examples that I could give um, of how radical unschooling works. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's one of those things, and I, I haven't fully latched onto that yet. We're still still kind of maintaining some control, but it's uh, it, it's funny not not funny, but it's it's interesting to think about how much really life experiences are worth, um, you know, and how much value you can, you can actually get from from that or from being curious. Um, and that's something that I think gets stifled when you use too much of a, of a curriculum, be it public school or, or homeschooled. Um, you don't have room, you don't have time for the, the ex- exploration and, and curiosity that, that kids have that is just. Um, yeah. Another term for radical unschooling that I like to use is self-directed learning. And I think that's probably more of a, a dis- more descriptive of a term because that's how we live our life. I mean, when our children want to learn something, when their curiosity peaks, that's when they're most that's when their brain is a sponge. Their, their brain is not a sponge when they're being force-fed math formulas and, and dates and history and all. They don't care about that stuff, just like I didn't care about it in public school. Right. But when their curiosity is getting the best of them about a certain topic, they will soak that information in like nobody's business. And <clears throat> that is a much better way to, to teach and to learn. And it's better for everybody. Yeah, you think about that as, as an adult. Um, you know, the things that we're still learning. I'm still learning, you know, and I still read books. And what are the books that I read? They're books that I'm interested in that, that I want to learn about. And right. that's that's what I do. And, and kids are, are no different. And I'm still self-directed learning myself. I've been reading uh, this uh, this winter so far. I've been reading several of uh, Joel Salatin's books, for example, um, just because I need to learn some of this stuff if we're going to have a homestead. And so I'm self-directing my learning. Well, if we can do that as an adult, we can certainly do that as a child as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, Great skill to learn, I think. You know, it's it's necessary to to life. But so when you guys decided to, I guess you kind of decided to do the the unschooling route before the kids kind of got to that age, or did you try the a little more structured in the beginning? When my oldest was, you know, reaching school age or a little bit before preschool age, we started, you know, trying to develop some sort of curriculum. And we bought books and we bought workbooks and we bought all this stuff. And um, my oldest child is. Um, not sure the word to use. I, I, if he were tested, which we haven't wasted our time with, if he were tested, he would probably be somewhere on the autism spectrum. Now he's not severely autistic. He's, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of Asperger's. He's very different. Uh, He's much like I was when I was a child. He, He can't sit still. He can't, you know, if he's if he's working on something or learning something, he's moving around. He's up and, and jumping and this and that while mm-hmm. he's doing it. <laughs> and there's no way that we could have sat him down and taught him from a curriculum um, with that style. We struggled, and it was a huge struggle for us for that first few months. And, you know, we had been hearing about radical unschooling and, you know, what it was. We didn't know anybody who knew anything about it or who did it. But when we were struggling with this, that's when we decided, okay, something's not, this is obviously not going to work for Helm. And obviously our, our goal is to help Helm. It's not to help us, it's to help mm-hmm. Helm. So we started 
just researching and seeing what alternatives were out there. Um, and we were for- very fortunate to plug into a secular homeschooling group in Memphis when we lived uh, lived in, in Arkansas. And um, that group had several unschoolers, and, and we learned from them and watched from them. And um, and that was a huge inspiration for us. And then moving up here to New Hampshire, um, lots of our, our friends here are radical unschoolers as well, and that has just progressed uh, progressed the, everything even further. Yeah, yeah. How did how did that work with then with the um, I guess it was it was like a, a co op or just kind of a a group that would hang out on occasion and let the kids like run around and play or, or what was that? A little bit of both. Uh, we had we had two different groups. One was just kind of a hang out and play, and one was was an actual co op. One day every two weeks at um, it, it, I don't remember at a church, some church. Yeah. Um, and they would they would do some I say structured learning, but it was things like a theater class and a wife taught um, where they, they put together a play based around Wizard of Oz and you know things like that that uh, were areas that were much harder to do on an individual basis um, that you could do in, in group settings better. So was that when you kind of came across unschooling there, how long did that, that transition take you guys? Was that something you, you latched onto immediately or was there a little bit of trepidation in, in letting go of it all and kind of, you know? We were already pretty much on the path to, to unschooling when we found those groups, um, just primarily because that's really what was working for Reagan, uh, my, my oldest. And uh, but once we plugged in with them and, and saw even more and had you know hundreds of hours of conversations with people about it, um, obviously that that you know took us even further and where we essentially stopped uh, any kind of schoolwork for my youngest as well. Um, he he doesn't struggle the same way that my oldest does, um, but he has his own struggles. He's um, <clears throat> he's a dyslexic, for example. Okay. Um, well, I say he's dyslexic. We're, we're pretty sure we've again, never had him right. tested. Um, you know, I, I hate putting labels on my kids. I hate, I would hate for my kid to get a diagnosis and for them to think that that defines them. So what we've done is we've, you know, done self tests with him and, and we believe that he's dyslexic. And uh, so we have, have changed the way that, that we learn together um, based around his dyslexia. How, how does that look? How does that affect things? And how, like, what do you guys do differently? Kind of, I'm just kind of curious about that. It's, it's really a struggle for me because he's 11 years old and still cannot read most things, right. you know, coming from, you know, I was reading by the time I was four. Um, my, my oldest son was reading by the time he was three or four, cause he was playing video games and, and taught him himself how to read on Xbox essentially. And so having, having that, and of course my, my wife was a young reader as well. And, and my wife and I are voracious readers. We, we read constantly. So having a child who is 11 years old and still, he can, he can get by reading. He can read some words, but it's a struggle for him. I mean, watching him trying to read a word, it's painful almost because it's such a struggle for him. Um, not because he lacks the intelligence because he's a very bright child. It's that the words are just, they're jumbled for him. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of it has to do with giving him the right tools, um, his tablet. Um, you know, we've set up all the tools for, you know, voice searches and, and these sorts of things. And um, we have a, a dyslexia reading program on there that he uses sometimes and, you know, things like that. Just just facing it as the day comes and, and uh, trying to overcome each struggle as it happens. Yeah. Does he, does he have um, particular interests in kind of the, the school sense of things that, um, I don't know, maybe your, your other son doesn't you know is he more like math or art or oh, something yeah. or so so for my two children to come from the same two parents they could not be more different um, my oldest son is much more like me very logical analytical um, very um, 
not antisocial, but he's very careful in who he chooses to be social with. Um, mm-hmm. He only connects with, with a small percentage of people, um, and, and he, he sticks close to those people. Whereas Grayson is very much more creative. Oh my goodness, his mind just blows <laughs> me away because I cannot imagine com- coming up with the things he comes up with. Um, so he has that creative, you know, widespread brain that um, that just has these wild thoughts. But he's also my social child. He is the one who loves everybody, who everybody loves. He's friends with everybody. Um, so they're so different for basically having almost the exact same DNA. It's wild. <laughs> it, it it is amazing when you when you can sit back and look at your kids and you're just like they're miles apart in some things and it's it's amazing it's amazing how different they are my oldest looks just like my wife did at, at his age and always has but he acts just like me and vice versa my youngest looks just like i did at his age but acts just like my wife so it's it's pretty wild how that happened that's great and you think about that right you, you think about cramming those kids in in the same classroom and expecting them to learn the same way it's just kind of like mind-blowing oh my god yeah that would <laughs> that would be insane and and in public school you've got what 20 25 30 different kids trying to learn the same thing in the same style at the same time it doesn't work it just doesn't work so um have you have your guys ever come to you and, and like kind of sought out um i don't say structure from you necessarily but but i guess help or, or direction on getting things done or do they kind of do it all on their own and they, they want that independence all the time or. So my kids have always known that Jess and I, my wife and I are always available to them. Anytime they have any questions or struggles or concerns or, or want to learn something, um, especially my youngest, cause you know, he, he mm-hmm. struggles you know, searching for things on the internet, for example, with his dyslexia. Um, <clears throat> but um, they also know that, you know, we do expect them to, to fail a little bit themselves, you know, try to learn it on your own. Um, when you come up to a stumbling block that you can't get past, you know, we will help regardless, but at least try on your own first. Um, that's something that we're really trying to instill in them now so that they don't, you know, become dependent completely on us because obviously they're, they're individual independent people. My wife and I are never going to, not always going to be around. Right. Um, so we're, you know, working on that quite a bit now is helping them not just so much helping them learn, but helping them learn how to learn. Um, and I think that's a big thing that we've you know been doing for years, but so so much more now because you know my oldest is thirteen now; he's a teenager, and um, it's much more important to know how to learn than it is to know to to know what you know. For sure, yeah that 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 is the probably the the greatest tool that um, anybody can can possess. I think you know. And, and thankfully, we've got the best tools in history right now with the internet and YouTube and Google. I mean, I mean we've got the best tools ever. I, I, I'm in IT for a, uh, for a career, and you know, there's no way I could know everything about my job if it weren't for books and the internet and things like that. I couldn't do my job, and nobody could do my job. Um, <laughs> it's not about knowing what you know. It's about learning what you know. Yeah. You think about that. I mean, what, what can you not find on YouTube? There's something on YouTube for everything. You know? I mean, I, I replaced my dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, um, I haven't got the dishwasher, but I, I did, uh, did some work on the dryer and the, the water softener and all that stuff all from, from YouTube, you know, and it's, uh, it, it's impressive, but, uh, have you guys given much thought to, um, I don't know, uh, higher education or sort of like, uh, after, you know, you get done sort of with a high school age, um, you know, where, where, where do you go from then? 
Yeah. So, and, and of course we have, and our, our kids will never have grades to show to a college. They'll never have transcripts. They'll never have, um, you know, any of that, that sort of thing. Um, but we're, we're teaching our children not to rely on college. I mean, wh- mm-hmm. what are we getting in college these days? I mean, I, I have a college degree. It's absolutely useless to me. It's never done a thing for me. Even though my degree is in my field, I was already working in my field before I got the degree. I got the degree because I because somebody told me, hey, you need to have uh, paperwork to show that you know your stuff. Well, I've got an associate's degree in information and computer network systems. I am currently working a job that requires a master's degree in computer network systems. I don't have a master's degree. It's my skills. It's my knowledge. Right. It's my experience that has given me that. And that's what we're trying to teach our children. You don't need a paper, piece of paper saying that that you can do a certain thing. You need skills. You need a pedigree. You need background. Um, unless you're something like a lawyer or, or a doctor that does require that. And thankfully, neither one of my children you know, have any interest in, in doing something like that. Um, so I think what we're probably, what we're looking at now is things like Praxis. Right. I don't know if you've heard of Praxis, but you know, we love the program there. We've you know, had them up here for Porkfest to talk about it. Um, we're big supporters of, of what they're doing. And, and that sort of apprenticeship, that sort of internship, is that's the college degree of the future, in my opinion, yeah. especially in technical fields, especially in, in, in fields that you, know, you don't need to take history one and history two and all these things for. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's such a, there's so much wasted time in college. And I had fun in college. Uh, I flunked out the first time after a year, lost both of my full scholarships because I partied hard and then I had to put myself through college. Um, and putting myself through college, working full time and going to school full time sucked. Yeah, and now I'm still, I'm still paying for that today. So I'm trying to keep my kids from having to deal with all of that. So even if they do some sort of an internship for a couple of years, we're going to put up, you know, give them a place to live, give them food, you know, that sort of thing, just as if, you know, they were still, you know, in school and, and we're going to support them in whatever they want to do through that internship. And then, you know, we'll push them out to, to get a job. Yeah, I, I do. I think, I think that that's probably the way a fair number of people are going to start to, to go. I think we're getting to the point where people are, are starting to realize that degrees are, they're not what they're cracked up to be. You know, it's this piece of paper that uh, it's, it's just, it's become a high school degree. It's a, it's a rite of passage. It has very little to do with your actual knowledge base or, or skill set. Um, and I, I think it's absolutely, I feel like it's coming, coming around more. Um, uh, maybe not, but, uh, maybe it's just the, the circles that I, I run in that, um, <laughs> I'll see the same thing, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't think for the vast majority of work these days that, it, that anything actually requires a college degree. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And the practice guys, I, I'm trying to, I'm going to reach out to them. I'm kind of waiting a little bit to do that, but, uh, yeah, hopefully they'll be on here at some point in the future. Um, but yeah, we had Derek, we had Derek McGill up for pork fest the last couple of years and, and it, he's fantastic. The program is fantastic. And uh, they were actually a supporter of my, uh, a, uh, an advertiser on my podcast for a while. Um, because I, I love what they do. Yeah. It's, uh, we need more of that, you know, you need more of that apprenticeship stuff. It's a, a much better learning tool, you know, to, to learn on the job than uh, in, a, in a textbook. But. And it's much more directed learning as well, because you're actually learning the kind of information that you're going to need in your field instead of all of these extraneous classes that you don't need. Absolutely. It's much more efficient. Yeah, that, that pertinent information, you know, there's, there's things that you'll never learn in a book and then when you actually get into a chainsaw and pull it apart that you'd be like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Now I, I get this or I get that, you know? And, but, uh, so you guys, you guys are up there in, in New Hampshire. Um, 
you're uh yes pulling together a little a little homestead i know you uh put some chickens in the freezer not too long ago i don't know it might have been might have been long ago i don't know <laughs> i know you did it seemed like not long ago but um we we moved up to new hampshire a little over four years ago october of 2015 as part of the free state project um my wife and i were both chairpersons and secretaries and all of this for the libertarian party of arkansas for you know years and years and i lived there for 40 years and we just needed a change you know we got out of the whole politics race and we're looking for for a change and you know, it's funny coming from the chicken capital of the world where Tyson chicken is so big in Arkansas. And I never owned a single chicken ever. Moved up here to Arkansas. And of course, right now we have 35 chickens. Uh, at one point on this farm, we had 55. And then uh, we processed um, some of those. The 35 we currently have are all layer uh, layer hens, uh, which got 25 new that hopefully we'll start laying in the next few weeks. Nice. Um, so. But yeah, we did process. We had 20 meat birds. Um, we lost a couple, of, you know, right in the first 24 hours or so, which is pretty normal, about 10% loss. And then we had a bear come through a couple of times and take some <laughs> take some <laughs> of our birds, which was interesting. I mean, after the second time he came, I was I was ready to sit out there with my uh, with my shotgun with them uh, with a slug in it waiting on him. <laughs> but but uh, we we finally just put an electric fence around and that kept him away. But we processed 13 birds, uh, got uh, almost 70 pounds of meat out of those 13 birds. And, um, you know, stocked our freezer. So uh, that was our first step and it's been great. So is that then you just kind of kept them all for yourself? All the, the meat yes, birds? Yeah, these first 13. Yeah, this was just a, an experiment for us. Uh, we do sell some eggs here and there. Uh, matter of fact, uh, one of our winter projects is we're going to be building an egg stand because uh, we're on a fairly busy highway. Um, one side of our property is. So we're going to put an egg stand out on the honor system and, you know, sell eggs for, for a few bucks uh, a dozen and, because uh, we, we usually get uh, three dollars a dozen, I think is what. Yeah, we do three three dollars per dozen, and or two for five dollars, um, and you know that gives us an opportunity to have our own fresh eggs, and then the money coming in from the sold eggs pays for it, so it works out right. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, chickens are always fun. They're just the, that that gateway drug of. The homestead world, I guess. I don't know. It's always it is definitely it. a gateway drug. I mean, right now we're so we did the the twenty birds this this summer, uh, meat birds. Uh, this next summer we're planning on doing a hundred. Um, we're gonna we're we're working on our, our chicken uh, tractor plans right now, so we're probably gonna do a couple of batches of thirty and a batch of forty meat birds. Um, and <clears throat> we're also gonna do at least two pigs. We're gonna do two pigs for us because we love. Um, and we're talking to some friends and stuff and seeing about uh, if they want to buy, you know, half a pig and if we can get enough, because to do two pigs is no less work than to do yeah. four pigs. So if we can get four people to go in on half some pigs, we can pay for our own pigs out, out of that money. So free pork for us. Yeah, that'd be a, it's something it's, it's, and it's nice to have that to, to, I don't know, something I think feels good about being able to kind of do it yourself and, uh, you know, have it have it there be be it yours and know know how it got to where it is uh, but what kind of what what sparked you guys into that what what made you decide to take the jump and and get some meat chickens well you know, i've always believed uh, i've always been somebody who believes in self ownership and self sufficiency and you know if i'm going to own myself i need to to own what i'm putting in my body i need to research it i need to know what i'm doing because this is the only body i've got um, and, you know, I, I've never been this whole organic, non-GMO, you know, kind of, uh, kind of person. Um, because, I mean, you know, let's be honest, organic is, it's, it's BS. I don't want to cuss on your shirt, but yeah. uh, it's, it's BS. And there, there's a, you, you know, 20,000 20, birds in, in, in a CAFO, just like you can 
just like the chickens you get at Walmart and, and call them organic and, and give them, you know, the opportunity to walk outside and all of a sudden they're pasture raised organic birds. No, they're not. No, they're not. That word has become meaningless. Yeah. That, that, and, uh, I think cage, I think it's cage free. They have to have like a, a three foot run on the end of these, you know, hundred foot long uh, tunnels and access to sunlight. And and that's it, you know? And, it's, right. and they never, and if you watch them, they never go outside. They never take advantage of that run. So it's, it's completely useless. Now it's these, uh, the, the FDA, USDA definitions, you know, they, they get to make these words up and define them as they will and label it. And uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, you, you had the, but yeah, I do believe in providing good food for, for my family. And that's kind of what got us started on this was with the eggs, because, um, you know, first my kids wanted goats and goats just seemed like a big way to start. So we started <laughs> off with the pure chickens and then realizing how much, you know, amazing eggs we were getting, getting out of these chickens. We started looking at other ways to supplement our food and. Um, you know, we've got a, a home freeze dryer, so we freeze dry a lot of food to, to you know, to put away for self-sufficiency. And uh, so we've done a lot of eggs that way. And now with the chickens, you know, being able to do 100 birds next summer, we're going to sell, you know, probably half of those birds, which will pay for the entire run. So again, we're getting free chickens out of the deal for, for a whole year. It's a chicken a week for a year for free. That, you know, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, I, so you freeze dried the eggs then. How, how did that work? Um, so <laughs> the first time we did it, we, we scrambled the eggs and then freeze dried them and then tried to reconstitute them. And they, the f- flavor was okay. Cause I mean, you know, it's tastes like eggs, but the, the consistency was rubbery and just gross. <laughs> so then what we did was we, and the sad thing is we did five dozen eggs that way. Oh, man. <laughs> we thought, oh, we're trying to do five dozen in one batch. So we wasted five dozen eggs, you know, that, but then the next time around we did raw eggs and then cooked them as we reconstituted them with water. And man, it tasted just like a fresh egg um, you know, cool. being, being cracked open right then. So that's what we're doing now is we're doing um, uh, raw eggs and, uh, and storing it away in mylar bags. Nice. So that's, uh, that's impressive. I, I d- never, never thought of that. We always kind of, I mean, we have fresh eggs pretty much all the time because our, we're down, down here in Georgia and I don't know, we don't, ha- I don't have a light out with our chickens, but they, they lay through the winter, um, pretty regularly. So we're, we're doing all right. But do you, now when you, when you do your meat birds there, are you, I guess you're going to have to get people to buy in ahead of time. Or are you going to try to sell them like afterwards or how, what are you thinking about doing with those? Well, thankfully in New Hampshire, we don't, we don't have to do a CSA for our foods. We can do okay. 20,000 birds in, in New Hampshire um, without having to go up to whatever the farm agriculture license is. Um, so in 20,000 birds is a lot of birds. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so yeah, we don't, we don't really have to worry about that. Thank goodness. Um, the, the laws here are pretty, pretty liberal in that regard. Um, so, um, this year we, this next summer, we hope to do a hundred. And then after that, um, we're going to try to, to lease, um, you know, three or four acres from, from somebody. We actually have a friend that we're talking to about that now has got five acres and, uh, we may try to run up to, to five or 600 birds, um, over the season and, uh, and, and, you know, sell those. And, and of course, on top of that, adding, you know, more layers and, and right. you know, more pigs that summer as well. So hopefully in a year and a half, we'll actually have a, a you know, a pretty financially rewarding system going on. Yeah, that that's always the the catch. I think when you try to do your your hobby farming, your your homesteading, whatever it is, like you're giving yourself food, you're providing it, but it, it does end up being a little more expensive than the subsidized dollar ninety nine Purdue chicken that you get at the store. Um, you know, and Absolutely. so to find the way that 
you can, you can actually pay for it and it, it makes financial sense um, to do it uh, is, is huge. You know, it's, your health is, is one thing and it's important, but then at the end of the day, that, that financial line is always kind of the, the determining factor, I think. Um, but, uh, all right. Well, are, are you going to get goats? Probably not. Um, none of us are big milk drinkers. You know, we drink okay. milk with cereal and that's about it. Um, and, and I'm not a huge fan of goat meat. And of course, if they're, you know, pets, you're not going to use them mm, for yeah. anyway. Mm. Um, so probably not as, as much as my kids want to, uh, we are probably going to do bees in the spring though. Um, you know, we've always been told that, you know, here in New Hampshire, bees are very, very difficult because of the cold climates, but we actually met a lady at one of the farmer's markets a couple months ago and she's been doing bees up here for years and has never lost a hive. And she actually teaches classes on that over the winter um, of how to do that. So uh, we're going to take that course in the next month or so and probably do bees too. When, uh, we, when we were up in Vermont, um, we almost got bees, but we didn't, um, just in, just in time because we just ended up leaving. But, uh, I think there was, a, there was down in Brattleboro or, or Bennington, maybe there was another, there was a sizable bee, um, apiary there that sold bees and, and frames and all that. So it's definitely, definitely possible. I don't know. You just got to kind of be more mindful of where you set the hives, I would imagine. But. Well, and also the, the biggest thing that she told us, um, was make sure you get bees from, from higher north than us. So buy your bees from Canada because they're much more hardy and, and prepared for the, the weather that you have. I actually have a friend who has tried bees twice uh, here in New Hampshire and has lost the hives um, each winter. And uh, he was buying his bees from you know somewhere in the South. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. That's your problem. <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not used to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we tried bees down here and um, I, I killed them. I think I, I think I played with them too much um, and didn't give them enough downtime, you know? <laughs> But it was, you know, I just, I want to got to look at it, man. But uh, anyway, Roger. Um, so where, uh, where can people find you if they they want to go listen to you? They they love the sound of your voice so much they just want to hear more of you. And where, where should they go? Well, uh, so I run a, a podcast network called Pax Libertas Productions. It has several podcasts on it, uh, including my flagship show, uh, The Lava Flow, which lava stands for libertarian, anarcho-capitalist, voluntarist, and agorist. Um, you can get all of that at uh, paxlibertas.com. Um, and also, just yesterday, I bought the, uh, the domain strikethertootfarm.com, <laughs> which is going to be the name of our farm. We're working on logo creation now, and it'll probably be a month or two before that website comes up. Um, but if anybody is listen to this a month or two in the future from December of 2019, then uh, check out strikethertootfarm.com. Nice. I, I will put those those links in the show notes and uh, they can go go check that out. Um, I wish you luck in, in all your endeavors there. It's uh, it's exciting. It's fun getting getting into all those things, I think. I don't know. I enjoy them. So It, it is. We're having a blast with it. I mean, it's all going to be just a hobby for us, but So that was a Roger, Mr. Roger Paxton. He uh, he heads up things over at Pork Fest, um, which is a little little festival they do up in New Hampshire, the the Free State Project. Um, 
happens sometime in, in June, I believe. I've been unable to get up there mostly because uh, we go up and visit family in uh, in August. And so June, it's a little much to go twice. And, uh, you know, we could get up there in June maybe, but um, it's nice. It's nice to get out of the South in August. Um, if you live up North, it's the same thing as in, when you're trying to escape the uh, Arctic tundra in uh, in January and February. August is the same thing down here. Just a little, a little reversed, a little reversed. Anyway, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Roger's a, a great guy, really, uh, just a, a good dude. And um, go check out his pod, a Lava Flow. Lots of good stuff over on there. And uh, yeah. Go share this. Share this with your friends. Uh, leave a review on iTunes. Do do appreciate that when that happens. And uh, head over to Facebook. Um, you find the, the Facebook group there, the Homesteaded Homeschool Forum, or you can go into the show notes and find the Discord server uh, link, or you can uh, email me directly or tweet at me and uh, get at me somehow, and I'll give you give you the link personally. Um, it's it's uh, there's a little bit of conversation going on over there, and. Uh, you know, it's a little more uh, interactive than than the Facebook. So you put, give me, give me some suggestions, ideas, guests, whatever it is you'd like. I am over there. I am listening. I'm here. I'm listening. Just uh, give me the information. If you want to support the show, go ahead and click through our Amazon link. That's a huge, huge plus. Um, you know, it may not seem like much, but uh, you know. The dollars and cents here, there add up and help make this thing uh, fiscally neutral. I suppose you could call that. Help, help me break break even here, not not be a total loss. So, uh, and it costs you nothing. So why not? What do you got to lose, right? Anyway, uh, that's about all all for today. Come back next week. I will have yet another guest, yet another guest, and uh, it'll be it'll be fun. I promise you that. Why? It's always fun. I don't have to promise you that, right? You know that. You know that. When this show ends, you get a little sadder. My wonderful voice is not going to be in your ears for another week. Sad, sad stuff. So hang on. Hang on. And uh, know that I'll be back. I will be back in, in a mere seven days or six days or whatever. My math is off. So enjoy it, guys. Enjoy it. So I will leave you all alone. Get out there. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your day. Plant something teach something, help somebody, spread spread the love of just good kindness. That's what, what everybody needs. Everybody needs a little kindness in their life. So go, go out and do that. And uh, sow those liberty seeds and we can all reap sheaves of freedom together. I'm going to ride us dream. I'm going to ride us dream.